God created the heavens and the earth. Groundbreaking words that were written by Moses from God's mouth. Ex nihilo creation. Out of nothing, everything came to be by the word of God. A speaking God. A God who speaks not only to creation, but through His creation to us. In the beginning. When we think about the first book of the Bible, Genesis, many images may come to mind. Maybe we remember back to those times in Sunday school class, or even some of us that are older could remember back when they were mentioned even in our elementary school days. No longer. We, perhaps when we hear about in the beginning, when God created those heavens, we could have images of the planets rotating around the solar system. Maybe we consider the moon and the sun and the stars. Interestingly enough, all the planets rotating counterclockwise around our sun. Perhaps even when we see the rays of the sun coming through the window, we can think about creating, uh, about creation that God gave to us and God created for us. Perhaps we look at a large tree and we think laden with fruit that God created that thing there. We could have images because of thinking about Genesis of stormy seas and large boats filled with animals floating in uncharted waters aimlessly, rain coming down in sheets, a cargo that represents all of life left on earth. Then maybe the sun peeks through the clouds, they part, the rain disappears, a white dove with an olive branch lands near an old man standing on the deck. Maybe you think of the promises that were made and the promises that are kept through Genesis. Maybe you think about a son being taken to a sacrificial altar, but a ram being given instead. Perhaps you might think of brothers betraying brothers, or famines and reprieves. Genesis is all of these things, however it is much more than them. It is my hope as we come through the introduction to our study in Genesis that we can get an overview of what we will find in Genesis, why it's important, and why it is necessary to study this particular book. Genesis is an interesting name. It comes from the Greek is where we get that from. It means origin. Typically, in Hebrew writing, in ancient Hebrew writing, it would the title of the book would just be the first word or first few words. The Hebrews would have known this book as in the beginning. We get Genesis from the Greek Septuagint as origins, which has an interesting relationship to another book in the Bible that we should look at right now. If we turn to Matthew chapter 1, you will find these interesting words that are given there. Matthew chapter 1, 
verse 1. In your English translation, it will say something like this. I'm currently reading from the New American Standard. And it says these words, Matthew 1.1, The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In the Greek, it would say, the genesis of Jesus. The origin of the incarnate Son of God. Using similar words that we find in the beginning of Genesis. Genesis, of course, points to the first Adam. Jesus, as we've just sung, is the new and better Adam that we have. Interesting relationships between these books. In the beginning. The only thing that was before creation was the triune God. Our Creator. The Father. The Son. And the Holy Spirit. We find interesting verbiage also in 1 John. If you would take a look there at the first chapter in the first verse of 1 John, you also find similar language found in that book. And it says these words, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And I'm going to leave that hanging there for just a few minutes or more than a few minutes and we'll come back to it. But similar language used. When we talk about Genesis, these are the words given by God through the Holy Spirit, to Moses. Without a doubt, I'm fully convinced that Moses is the author of Genesis, along with the other four books of the Pentateuch. Penta meaning five. We see in Exodus chapter 17, verse 14, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial, and recite it to Joshua, that I will utter, uh, utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Or John 5.46 For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he, Moses, wrote about me. Or Joshua 8.31 Just as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded the sons of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no man had wielded an iron tool, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. Moses as the author through the Holy Spirit of Genesis in the beginning. We find this story of Moses, we could find it fascinating about 
him particularly about God's sovereignty through all these things. Fascinating, of course, is that they were to kill all the, all the, the, the Hebrew children or Hebrew boys back when Moses was born and his, he was put in the reed basket and floated down the river, of course, and he's picked up and raised in the household of, Mo, uh, household of Pharaoh. Now, why is that interesting? Turn to Acts chapter 7, verse 22. Acts chapter 7, verse 22. And it tells, you, tells us why. Not only is it interesting, not only is it part of God's sovereignty, but also why it was necessary. Acts chapter 7, verse 22. And it says these words, Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. And he was a man of power in words and deeds. God in his sovereignty put Moses at a certain place at a certain time so that he would be educated in a certain way of certain things so that he would be the one that would write the five books of the Pentateuch, including Genesis. He would write this book three plus centuries after the end of Genesis. Moses was not a happenstance author that just happened to be in the right place at the right time, but as we should know by now, that it is the perfect place in the perfect time that God has called these things into being, that they should be written in this manner that Moses would be the author of those books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We would interestingly find that Genesis itself covers more time than all the other books of the Bible combined. That the span of time that Genesis covers is massive in what it does. It is the origin story. It's the origin story of so many things. I have said it before. I'll continue to say it. And there's times I've had to say it forcefully to people when they don't like it. But if you give up the first three chapters of Genesis, I doubt that you are actually a Christ follower. I doubt that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior if you give up the first three books of Genesis. If you do not believe that creative story that is there. That is how necessary Genesis is. This book is the origin of the redemptive purposes in the redemptive plan of God for man. In the beginning. It is God's plan for redemption. It is removing any barriers that people might have of what God is doing and showing them how it came into being and how they arrived to where they were at. Moses writing this at some period of time before they would enter into the promised land. Interesting that this is the 
time and place that is written, these people that were in slavery, these Israelites that were enslaved, these Israelites that were born through the Red Sea into a new life, through a parted sea, born into this new life, given this, the origin story. The origin narrative. The story of how it came to be that they are where they're at right now in their part in the redemptive plan of God. Not only does it tell us the redemptive plan, but it also tells us how that plan is going to happen. Genesis chapter 3 tells us it's through the seed of the woman that this will occur. This book shows us the creative time through which God has worked and will continue to work and continue to show how He will bring things about. In chapter 3, after we pick up that redemptive story about how God will save men. We need to think about, again, how important it was for the Israelites to hear this at the time and when they heard it. At the time before they went into the Promised Land. This book describing the origin of everything about how important it was for them to hear these origin stories. To understand that God created ex nihilo out of nothing. That this God, this creative God, was a God that wasn't like the pagan gods that they knew about. Was not like the gods of Mesopotamia that were worshipped at this period of time by those pagan nations. That God was a creative God and a God that created out of absolutely nothing. That when they heard those words, in the beginning, God created. He didn't pick up things and put them together, gluing them one to another. Right? He created by His voice speaking. He spoke things into existence. He spoke flocks of birds into existence flying. He spoke schools of fish into existence swimming. Not from eggs or embryos, but fully formed and created. Much different than you would read in the creation accounts of like the Enuma Elish that you would find in Mesopotamia with all sorts of crazy stories about how the continents and whatnot came into being. Furthermore, you would even find that when they read this account, when they know the story of Noah, when they know how God has saved man, has saved mankind through this family, has used this family for His redemptive act, that they would know it's much different than these other flood narratives that they would have heard during their enslavement. Uh, things such as the Atrahasis epic is a flood narrative from Mesopotamia or the Gilgamesh epic. It doesn't take much. You'll find these things. They're also flood stories. 
it shouldn't surprise us either that other nations, other cultures have flood stories if it was a worldwide flood. But when we have Genesis that tells us the origin in the beginning, this is what God has done. In the beginning, this is how God has worked. In the beginning, Genesis starts with a very large picture of all of creation. Of everything, the heavens and the earth, giants in scope. Very large through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. A big, giant picture of mankind and creation. And then notice after chapter 11, it becomes very focused on a semi-nomadic family through Abram, who will be renamed Abraham. That this focus comes from the large picture into a very small focused, pinpoint picture of the redemptive act of a sovereign God. Of how He's going to accomplish this through history. How man is going to stand there and look and not understand because we are fixed in our time. Right? We're very narrow in our scope. But how that giant scope of history from beginning to end through the sovereign mind of a sovereign God, has been laid out. The final 38 chapters of Genesis showing that narrowing focus towards that semi-nomadic family that would give us the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Through that family, the lineage would come where we will find the origin of the incarnate Christ in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, in the genealogy that follows. This narrative of Genesis, the genre that it's in, this narrative story of the origins is one that will culminate at the end of 2 Kings. It is the beginning part of a large narrative that runs through the end of 2 Kings and the fall of Jerusalem. Genesis is a very intentional book, intentionally placed in the beginning of the Pentateuch to show God's sovereignty and God's sovereign redemptive plan. Within this book, as we touched on in the very beginning, there is various themes that are throughout the book of Genesis, but we would never want to forget that redemption is right at the very top. We see the theme of the Garden of Eden and man placed in there giving work to do. Work that is good for him. The image bearers of God to dwell in perfect relationship with him, with their creator, in the garden. Man and woman in perfect relationship with Yahweh. A relationship which we currently do not know. But we will know as Christ followers when we pass from this life into the next. Adam and Eve would have been known by God and would have known God to the extent that we can't quite understand. 
because until the fall, they were not perfect, but innocent. Not only do we have those themes of the creation, but we have the theme of the fall of man. We have, of course, as I mentioned, the redemption, which is primary on there. And that is the redemption of the fallen man that we should all see the book of Genesis through. When we're working expositionally through Genesis, we want to continually keep that redemptive story. How does this particular passage refer to the redemptive nature of what God is doing? That God is redeeming man through the genealogy of men. Look to Genesis chapter 12 in the first passage. 1 and 2. Genesis 12, 1 and 2. Now the Lord said to Abram, and I'm going to stop right there. Abram was a good pagan. A good idol worshiper at this point in time. Worshipping everything that wasn't God. He was a pagan. Until this moment here. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house. My goodness, if this doesn't sound like what happens when you become a Christ follower, I'm not sure exactly what does. Everything changes. God is saying, as my emissary, as the one that you are finally hearing the voice of the only true God who created ex nihilo, out of nothing, you will leave your country, the pagan land where you're from, you will leave your relatives, you will leave your father's house, and you will go to the land that I will show you. We find that very similarly when we become Christ followers, don't we? When the Holy Spirit takes residence in our hearts, the things that we loved before are things we love no longer. We go from a dark land full of death into a world of life that we have through our Lord and Savior. Similar pictures that we find here. Similar redemption that is happening here. In verse 2, and it says that the promise that goes forth, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. The promises and the overarching promises of God that we find here. We find in the theology of Genesis, those things that are the study of God, We'll find God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We will find man, sin, redemption, covenant, promise, Satan and angels, kingdom, revelation, Israel, judgment and blessing throughout the book of Genesis. But the overarching theme is always redemption, redemption, redemption. God's work to redeem fallen men and women. God's work to solve the sin problem that we have. And this is the lens through which Genesis should be read and understood. 
We should not subjugate our thoughts to less important things such as, why all of a sudden in Babylon did they speak different languages? Why do we get wrapped around certain things? How many animals could fit in the ark? Was it all the animals? Did they really have giraffes and zebras? What about spiders? Did they have spiders? Satan's work to get us distracted from the big picture. Those things are interesting, but they should not captivate our thoughts. What should captivate our thoughts is God will do this through the seed of the woman. And how am I to see this through the Scripture? What does it mean when, when, when God says to Abram, I'm going to do this through you, through you. You're going to leave everything you know for me. And guess what? It's going to be worth it because I am the only sovereign God there is. We could say to ourselves, I'll turn back to 1 John 1. Maybe this will help. I hope that it does. First John 1 John 1.1 again. When we read and study Genesis, think about these words that John himself is writing. What, we, what was from the beginning. What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands. What are those things concerning the word of life? What are those things that we are seeing in Genesis ourselves? What are those things that we are viewing and understanding that are pointing to a sovereign and a holy God in his work? What are we seeing that God is doing through his great plan of redemption that is laid out in the book of Genesis? What how does this relate to the sin problem that I have in the Savior that I know? How does Genesis, what do I hear, what do I see, what can I grasp out of Genesis that points to the necessity of the cross in Jesus Christ, the Son? You see, man's natural state is one towards self-destruction. when left to our own ways. Man's heart is bent against the knowledge of a righteous and a holy God. It's bent against understanding God. One of our absolute first acts as men and women was an act of rebellion. Was to reach up upon the throne of God and try to remove His crown and place it on our own heads and say we are gods and kings. To install ourselves in that place of creator. As an aside, we see that today. Men doing those same things today. Saying that we can create. We can say what is a man, what is a woman. We hold the keys to life and death in the womb. That's what man does. That's what man's natural state is. A 
a state of lying, stealing, scheming, general depravity of mankind that would leave us shaking our heads when we look at the world today. And when we read Genesis, we'll see those same themes. The description of the way man is. We could then miss the forest for the trees. We could miss the larger theme of redemption that is front and center. So therefore, we must keep it in our forefront, that redemptive work writ large through the annals of time in the generations of mankind. That God is in charge and it is all part of His plan. That is His providence and His election that we see throughout. The story of Isaac and his father Abraham gives us some background into that. We know that Isaac was the promised son to an old couple. We know that God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son on that altar in the wilderness. We know that Abraham trusted in God's plan. Genesis chapter 22 verse 5 says these words, easy to miss as they were going into the wilderness to the place of sacrifice, and Abraham said to his young men who were traveling with him, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. We miss the we will return to you. Abraham trusting that God would be true to his promises, and we find in Genesis chapter 22, in verses 6 through 8, that God did provide. His trust, Abraham says in verse 8, says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walk together. Verses 11 through 14 says, The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, I am here. In verse 12 it says, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the place, the name of that place, the Lord will provide all part of the redemption that God provides for us. The plan, God's plan will not be thwarted, but enacted through mankind. Joseph, of course, tells us the why and the how when speaking with his brothers. We remember his story, thrown into the pit by his brothers, sold into slavery by those same brothers, yet somehow, through God's providence, that Joseph ascends to the second highest position in Egypt. When his brothers are faced with him, this powerful man, expecting the worst that he will enact revenge, what does Joseph say in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And get this, in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Isn't that God's redemptive plan? Through His work, 
throughout the history of men to provide and cause many to be alive through His Son, Jesus Christ. As we come down to the conclusion of this brief introduction into the book of Genesis, I would ask that the that the ushers would pass out the elements for communion, which we will be going into right after this message uh, as we come to a close. It is fitting that we would celebrate communion at this time uh, after the baptism that we had, after we had this introduction into the book of Genesis. And I would leave on this uh, point in Genesis to keep this in mind of God's redemptive plan that there is no question that all of Genesis points to Jesus and the work of the cross. Everything is the shadow to come of the saving work of Christ. Colossians 1, chapter 15 through 20 is just such an awesome verse. A set of verses in the Scripture. Thanks, sir. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. I know it's familiar to many of you. That He, the Son, Jesus Himself, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross, Through Him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and now turn to Colossians 3. It's not on the screen, but we are so close, and we must say this in our redemptive look, that verse 13, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The answer to Genesis chapter 3. You see, Jesus is that scarlet thread that runs through from the very beginning of Bereshit, bara Elohim, in the beginning God created, through the end of the Scripture. What was from the beginning, what was from all time, was Jesus Himself, our Savior, the origin of our redemption, This is what we will experience when we study Genesis, just like the apostles heard, touched, felt, and understood Jesus 
so we will also, as we go through this book, we will be starting at the beginning, the origin of God's redemptive story next week. A story that will culminate at the end of Revelation with the recreation. Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 6, Then He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his, his slaves will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. Just like the words of Genesis are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his slaves the things which must soon take place. In the beginning, God created. And before that, his redemptive plan was founded. Ephesians 1.4, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. Let us all consider these words as we go into the study of Genesis next week, as we come into the time of communion. I would ask you to read, start reading through Genesis this week. We will be going through much of the first chapter next week and maybe a little bit more. The study will look a little bit different than some of our other expositions because it is narrative. Because Genesis is narrative, we need to cover larger portions of the text so that we capture the whole flavor of that narrative story that is there. Uh, but we certainly look forward to this. Consider, as we come into a moment of prayer, that those sins that we had were nailed to the cross. Both the sins before we became believers and the sins after we became believers. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come before you to consider this book of Genesis, to consider the origin of all of creation, to consider your creative hands and more importantly, your redemptive work that you are doing and have done and will continue to do. We ask that you give us understanding that it is necessary to trust in your infallible and errant word, to not trust in the folly and the thinking of men, but to trust in the word of God alone. Your word is given through your servant, Moses. Please be with us throughout this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now for a 